right, welcome to Highways and Hedges. I'm Joe, I don't have Will with me today again. I do have another guest, I'll introduce him in just a moment. Uh, I'm interviewing him because I wanna discuss a topic um, about just the struggles of pastoring in a small town. Um, and I'm not actually thinking of the, the external problems that, that, that you can face in a small ch a town, like a smaller population or smaller resources, those kind of things. I'm, I'm thinking of the deeper challenges that small town ministry can uniquely expose inside our hearts. So I'm thinking of the, the unseen internal struggles with our own sinful desires and temptations that we that rise up in response to the challenges in a small town. So I'm thinking of things like maybe it's um, more temptation to fear because we have a less secure income. Or it could be the sin of discontentment because we have fewer opportunities for self-fulfillment in the ministry we're doing. Or, or even maybe it's responding to just the slower and smaller ministry results with disobedient apathy. Those are the kind of things I want to highlight and talk about. Um, but I want to get all those in just a minute. First, let me introduce my guest. My guest is Bob. Bob, welcome to Highways and Hedges. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah. We're on the road, aren't we? We are on the road. Yep. Well, welcome to the sound, the beautiful humming sound of a, uh, is it a Civic? A Honda Civic. It's a Honda Civic. It's very cozy. Yep. Um, Bob, just, I know you well, but for anybody who's listening, I want to make sure they get to know you a little bit. How long have you been a pastor? Uh, so I just uh, uh, passed 30 years from my first ordination back in 1991, uh, way back in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I grew up. Um, wow. And since then, uh, pastor uh, was pastor at a church in western New York and then went out um, to Whidbey Island, uh, Washington, out in Puget Sound to be on staff at a church there in Oak Harbor, Washington. Wow. And uh, then back uh, in 1999, got the chance to come back to Kansas, where I was first in the military in the Army at Fort Riley, and uh, Kansas has been home since then. Okay. And then came from that church to the church you're currently at, right? Right. So moved inside Kansas from uh, a church in uh, more central Kansas to one now in northeast Kansas along okay. the Missouri River. Yeah. That's five churches altogether? Is I think that right? so. Okay. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Very good. And you've been at our church how long now? Uh, just past eight years in January at okay. Riverbend Bible okay. Church. Great. Um, just to give people some concrete pictures of what our church is like, how many members do we have? So we have 49 uh, members uh, and uh, maybe about uh, 70 folks that might gather on a normal Lord's Day morning. Yeah. Uh, would you say that we live and our church resides in a small town? Uh, that's a that's a really <laughs> that's an interesting question yeah. because um, while I don't know as much about the the history of Atchison as I'd like to know, um, most everyone agrees that it's a fraction of what it used to be. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of Atchison, even just the physical look of the the city, that looks to be more city like mid mid sized, yeah. Right? But when you start to think about numbers and even culture, it starts to feel a lot more like rural Kansas, yeah. small town Kansas, as a, especially in the shadow of places like Kansas City, which is just 45 minutes away, yeah. uh, or a Wichita or something like that. Yeah, right. I don't know exactly how you draw the sociological line of a small town. I don't know if it's Walmart, or is it having the cool coffee shop? Or we've right. actually got a college in our town, which is that's yeah that brings I'm sure a lot of economic boosts to our to our city. Right. Well, I uh, I wanted to interview you specifically on this topic about internal struggles of small town ministry. First of all, just because you have helped me fight my own internal temptations and sins um, by pastoring me, you've helped me do that well. But also because at least from an outsider's perspective, you had reason to face some of the temptations I was talking about. Um, because if pastoring were just merely a career, and it's not, but if it were just merely a career, our church would have been a step down for you, wouldn't it? Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I guess that's, that's, that is reality. In terms of size and, yeah, that it, it's a, it would have been a step down from the church you were at previously. Right. 
um, would you be willing to fill in any of the details just to help our listeners understand what that step down looked like? Well, for us personally, it involved a move from a community and a house that we'd been in for, you know, a while, uh, and, you know, you know, at least a good decade. I mean, I think I think I was at the church I was at before for over 13 years. So there's that involved. There was um, financial adjustments to make um, because a small church, what the small church that I came to, was not able to pay me as much as the as what I was making at the church before. And then just um, there's adjustments just in daily schedule. Just to think about um, the the number of meetings. Part of this too was, has to do with church government, which is a related subject, but the, just the number of meetings and administrative responsibilities that I had to attend to uh, were, were very different coming to a younger, smaller church as opposed to an older, more established church. And then yeah. just something that I, th- I think about as we talk on this, on this podcast is just going from having an office in a city to um, an office at our home in a smaller town. Yeah, right. It does, I mean, there are just differences there. Yeah. And, and then it happened, too, that our transition came at a time when technology was, was changing a lot across the larger culture, the ability to communicate much more quickly through, you know, the use of, say, smartphones. Um, so the whole need for a central office and say a a dedicated secretary, those kinds of things were changing as well. Right. So wow. that factors into our transition. Um, so it, just thinking about those things as well in terms of how the transition we made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, church is not measured only in terms of how many members come, but sometimes. When the world has infected the church and the word, the church is treating pastoring like a career, numbers is the way they would measure it. And I think that that's one of the things I'd like to help bring out. How many members were in your previous church? Um, so we were in a situation where, uh, and this is, this is, I think, germane to our discussion, where there were many more people attending and identifying with and seeking Christian community in the church previously than there were members. So there was a huge gap between the relatively small number of members and the number of people who were fellowshipping, serving, worshiping um, together as a, as a Christian community. And so that did have that, that's another factor that comes into play when thinking about the transition that we made. Yeah, that's a good point. So then maybe just say on a given Sunday morning, how many people would gather So three services on a Sunday morning, uh, probably between five and six hundred, between over a total number over the three services. Yep, yep. That's helpful. That's that's just the kind of context I want us to be thinking of because that's what I want us to address. I, I I know you and I share in common that the belief, the conviction that pastors responsibilities to be faithful to Christ with the people he's been given and not be concerned with expanding his own reputation and his own influence, but trusting that the Lord will give him the people he wants to be responsible for. But I want to, I want this, hopefully this podcast to help guys who are starting to struggle with some of the internal struggles, whether it be them moving to a smaller church and having to face some of the struggles that come out of that or whether it's them they're actually in a larger church i just want to help highlight for them maybe some of the dangers that they're blind to in that context because they're um they have that affirmation of a bigger congregation or something so uh, before we jump into some specific topics some of the specific struggles that come out of pastoring in a smaller town i i would like just hear you reflect on my premise for this do you think that um being a pastor in a small town does highlight, might especially highlight some of the challenges. Um, So I'm thinking of it like this. Have you found that ministry in a small town offers smaller distractions and so makes some of the internal struggles more evident or intense because there are smaller or fewer distractions than when you're in a bigger church? Right. 
I uh, I wanted to make sure that um, that uh, you know that we talked about at getting together for this today that we talked about the fact that I really believe that um, you know if I talk about say a particular um, a particular battle that I, I and I might face internally as a pastor in the particular context that I'm in that I I really look at that. I, I don't. I'm. I'm not being critical of, say, someone at a larger church yep. who I think is going to have very similar kinds of battles, but maybe with different circumstances, and whom the Lord would uniquely prepare to handle those better than, say, I could. Yeah. And so I, I do think that um, whoever might be kind of processing this and thinking about say a pastor in his own context is to to trust God that God has you know prepared him for the kind of sanctification that needs to happen in his life and he's prepared he's prepared a context for him for that um, in some ways I, I don't want to overplay the metaphor with a pastor being married to a particular church um, and, and comparing that to a man being married to a particular woman but there is a sense in which we're in a marriage and we're in the marriage that we're in because God is going to sanctify us in very specific ways yeah. given the person, the woman to, that we're, to whom we're married. Yeah. And I think he's going to do something similar to a man who's called to shepherd a church yeah. is that man's sanctification process is going to continue and even accelerate in that context. Yeah. And the Lord has prepared that context and him to go through that. And but I would say for for myself, it there there is a real sense in which it was easy to become consumed and to devote time, energy, um, and attention to lots of things in a larger church, things like programs and meetings and budgets and, um, and different bureaucratic responsibilities that could you could easily allow to inflate the time that would then keep you so busy, or let me talk about me, it could keep me so busy that I wouldn't have to think about um, what's going on in my own heart. Yeah. And as I say that, I can say, and there are similar temptations in a, in a smaller context. So it's not as if the context becomes a kind of panacea for um, kind of get, gaining victory over, you know, really stubborn sins in our lives. Yeah, right. Um, but it is true that there are temptations in a larger church that... Um, that being in a smaller context maybe slows you down enough to be able to see, like we might notice in slow motion after after we watch a, a play in a football game, we might see something yeah. in slow motion. Oh yeah, there's the infraction. Right, you know, right, that, yeah, right. Um, I was just thinking of things like, so I'll give a few examples, and these are from me, just knowing that when I'm struggling with my, the, the limit of my influence, when I start noticing selfish ambition in my heart or wanting to glorify myself in ministry if the it's it, the, so the hard situations that I'm called to be faithful in I start pulling away from the so if there's uh, a relationship where I think God's probably calling me to make painful personal sacrifices to love someone they start getting delayed on my calendar I'll start pulling up Twitter more often, wanting to get a few more followers on there. I'll, you know, I look for different kinds of distractions that are busyness, but it's helping. What I'm really doing is just trying to suppress uh, a discontentment or an angst that I'm not regarded as much as I think I deserve. And I'm, what I would be concerned about if I was in a large church is that it would be even easier for me to obscure that problem in my heart. That if I had 500 people listening to me every single week um, that it would be much easier for me to ignore some of the 
I don't know, the, that, that angst and selfish ambition that's rising up in my heart because it, I think, no, I've, I've got the, the affirmation I want from my busy schedule. And it's harder when, you know, you've got a Bible study of two guys and you're just feel like I'm spending time preparing for two guys. This doesn't feel like it really matters that starts to really expose some problems in me. Like, I don't think that these two eternal souls matter for an hour of prep because there's only two of them and I wanted there to be 20 of them. Um, and so just like, I don't, I don't get faced with the ugliness of my sin until I see it like, yeah, my motivation is going away and it's not because there aren't precious eternal things here in front of me. It's because I just want bigger numbers. I want recognition I want popularity or whatever and so that's that's the kind of thing I'm getting at I don't know if it's the best way to say it but that's what I mean by saying does a small town church make those internal struggles more evident or more intense because it's not drowned with distractions like bigger numbers or meetings or building maintenance those kind of things right so the way that you phrase the question is is good I think because for example um, I'm not even on Twitter you would have to explain to me what you just said but, um, so I, I do think that there there are ways in which you know we could take first Corinthians 10 13 and say that there's no testing that take that that is overtaken you even in the ministry that is not common to man right yeah. I, mean, I mean there's a sense in which what you just described is is any man's difficulty in the ministry because he can always find something to do that's going to keep him from doing the hard thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, um, but what I what I think so I'll just I'll just for myself you know what I could talk about in being a larger context when you talk about in terms of response, yeah, um, two things come to mind. One, we live in a in a culture that trains us to think about numbers and budgets and buildings and, um, and you know, systems, bureaucracies as a measure of success. So if, the, if a man in a small town is, is a small context, is imbibing that kind of measurement, if he's picking up that kind of measurement tool and trying to put that ruler up against his ministry, yeah, that's going to be a problem for him. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, though, is... Um, that I think is is difficult for the small town context is you take take the example that you wrote you you raised about um, the the two guys show up when you were hoping for more yeah um, because of the small context um, the the small town pastor has to think I'm still a shepherd to the to, uh, to the ones who didn't show up yeah in the larger context if you have if you have 25 guys, let's say, show up for a men's Bible study, you're like, oh, this is all I can handle. Yeah. And so you're, it's very easy then not to worry about the sheep who weren't there. Yeah, the other 475. Right. It's like, okay, okay well, I've got enough to do. And I think that's one of the, the challenges um, that a, the larger church pastor has is can he, can he lead, especially other leaders, develop other leaders so that he feels like whatever flock God has put him in, that that flock, that entire flock is being well shepherded by God-ordained, biblically qualified, and given the way I understand scripture, men. Yep. Um, and if not, then I think that they that there's some soul searching there that needs to happen. Yeah. Whereas the, you know, the, the man who's in the smaller context has a similar challenge. I have to minister to, I have to make sure that I'm pastoring the ones who didn't respond to my attempt to start a ministry. You yeah. know, like I thought I was going to do this great thing and make this, make, you know, all my Bible knowledge available to all, and, and not wanting to, to do the hard work of, well, you know, why isn't a man there? Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's just physically exhausted because of the responsibilities he has just to, to care for his family. Yeah. Um, and I need to learn what it means to shepherd and minister God's word to that man. Um, I don't, I'll call it a luxury. That's probably maybe a majority. I don't have the luxury to just 
pour out all my all my sort of whatever I have to those who respond. Yeah, and right. Uh, in, in, in the previous context I came from, in so many ways, I was spoiled because I got to know so many students, college students, who were a part of the church, and they were just hungry, and it was yeah. easy to think, okay, or, or just um, ministering to the, you know, to the suburbanite who has the the spare time and is in a position in life where they can come to a church event, yeah, and not think about maybe the people who are in the margins of church who for a host of reasons aren't going to come to that say that other church event or yeah. maybe even don't understand what's going on when they come to a large a big large meeting yeah. you know of, of hundreds of people on a Sunday morning right yeah. and what I fear in uh, in all of our hearts is I'm thinking of pastors and probably even thinking of young men who are being trained for ministry there's a desire just to get to what you're talking about I just want to get to the place where all I have to do is show up with all this great stuff I've prepared and then people gather around me. I don't want to do the harder work of chasing the one sheep who didn't come. Right. I don't really like that work. That's hard work. That's, That's going to get me personally involved. I'm probably going to be personally attacked. That's when I'm going to start. I'm going to get dirty. My sin is going to get stirred up like that. You know, it's a lot easier if I can just show up to a stage and talk about the things that I thought about this week to a big crowd. Right. And I, I, that's one thing that I want to attack with this podcast is to show if you get to that position and you're not facing in your heart some of the dangers that are there, that might mean you're just completely falling prey to them. That you are just, you are suppressing temptations by feeding your sin instead of fighting it. Right. Those are the things I hope I can bring out um, okay. in our discussion here. So yeah, in some ways it's it's uh, like maybe I, I'm sure we've both heard sermons where where, where uh, there the pastor's preaching about the dangers of having money and loving it too much and then saying and by the way you can have the same problem if you don't have money. Yeah, know? right. I mean we're kind of we're talking about that exactly. but you but you're right having that kind of response where you can in the in the eyes of culture call yourself faithful and successful without having to do the hard work of of chasing sheep yeah um that's a that is a definite um temptation so would you just name some of the internal struggles i mean maybe you were so sanctified when the change happened that none of them came so i'll give some if you can't think of it but (laughs) if you can think of a few of the internal temptations you faced when you left your previous church to come to our church just name off you know a a couple bullet points here of these are some things that i felt stirred up in my heart that maybe i wasn't addressing or wasn't fully aware of before in my previous larger church you mentioned i'm sure there's more that you'll you'll think of more than probably i will um but certainly going from a, a, a situation where the church had a large budget yeah and i i had very little i mean maybe i'd wonder if i was going to get a raise you know the font for the next year i mean the church that i was at was an incredibly generous church um in many ways but going from that to a situation where the church was basically saying, you know, we, we want you to come, we want you to do this full time for a while just to see how it's going to go and, you know, how much would you need to make it by? And, yeah. And then, well, you, you even, you were sort of bivocational for a while, right? Yeah. There was a time when you had for the, a short time. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and then just to go through a time even where, so, I mean, just the basic point of, I think the senior pastor's salary would have been way down the list on things to cut, mm-hmm. you know, in the larger church. Yeah. Whereas I'm in a situation now where I know my salary is one of the, it, it, it is probably the biggest single line item on the church's budget. Yeah. And yeah. if the church does fall into financial difficulty, as we've experienced in the eight years I've been here, you know, I know it for me, it's a very deep personal struggle um, that you know that my that, that my daily needs would become that kind of a burden to the church that where the, the, the church is really um, you know sacrificing I, mean, I think that's a good thing but 
where when we get into financial difficulty, I realize, okay, the real I'm the real financial burden here. Yeah. I I don't think I handled that well. I think that that created lots of fear and um, you know just um, to the point maybe of panic in some cases. You know, just wondering, are we going to make it? Yeah. Um, I spent a long time. Uh, I spent many months here thinking that I was supposed to go somewhere else because of this, because I felt like I was being a financial burden. And Lord, is this what you're using to say, don't stay here? Yeah. And um, that that takes a lot of energy. It's a big distraction. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. There, um, when you think like, I'm not where God wants me, yeah. what do I do? So, yeah. yeah. Right. That's really helpful. That was probably one of the first ones I thought of, and we, we have already brought it up. Material success and financial security. I think those things can sort of by default come from the bigger church and moving to a smaller church can bring those things into question and you're talking about maybe the if we were going to use a word that's uh, like in the category of sin you would say fear was the the response that you were facing fear that you was it fear that you would it sounds not really fear that you would lose your income that but more fear that you are putting burdens on other Christians that you you don't yeah you just don't want to burden them with you're right or even looking for ways to reduce expenditures so that what the church can afford is is is, is still adequate that yeah. kind of thing yeah um, so all those and um, this is this is sort of related although it might it might um, raise a larger topic for later discussion but I'm just amazed at how quickly fear um, morphs into anger hmm. you know that um, it's almost like put water on a stove um, how you know how quickly uh, water turns to steam um, and where you know I could where I may not be real outwardly expressive of my anger I know my wife would say that she's seen it uh, of how quickly fear and that fear of what could happen or what might happen turns to anger about what we need to do and it really is not a healthy place for a pastor to be in at yeah. all. It's yeah. a sinful place, and and so uh, yeah, that what what we might you know what we think think of as concern quickly becomes fear, quickly becomes anger. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So those are the 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 seen things, the material things is the the lack of income, but what it's exposing the immaterial things fear and anger, those are the things that I want to highlight. Can you then talk about what were some of the unseen things that you have learned and been treasuring to keep you in a context with less material success, less financial security? What are some of the unseen things, either promises of God or the, the blessings of serving here that are not seen things, but that if there's another guy out there struggling with this same fear and anger and concern, you'd say, this is, this is where I found strength to stay faithful here. So, uh, well, I, I know that, uh, one of the, one of the things that I would say is that it is living the living financially the way we have over the last few years, I mean, it's definitely highlighted how, um, how, what an excellent woman I'm married to because <laughs> she has been able to make what financial resources we have available, she's been able to make those go farther than I could on my own. And then even just taking the opportunity where our children were grown to even supplement the household income. And I mean, so that's, that's been something yeah. in our lives that's been different. And, and you know, really she works very hard at that and she's very good at that. So I think that's something that should be underscored. And, and then I, I think that what's happened in my heart over the years, um, and, and I, I, can, I can share an antidote that illustrates it. I, I can remember one time a few years back, I think it's probably been three years ago now, where there, we, it felt like we were emerging out of a very uh, vulnerable situation financially.
individually, things were, and we'd also come through a time where I had tried in, in dozens of ways at least to, or looked at dozens of possibilities or more to leave the current situation. And it seemed clear to me that those answers were all no, no, and, and we were at a place like, we're, okay, for we don't see, there's no exit door here right now for us. And I can remember just uh, being at the church building on a Lord's Day morning before a service and um, watching someone park out on the street and walk, walk towards the front door and thinking how different I was than this person. Different educationally, culturally, our backgrounds were just no, there was no explanation other than the Lordship of Jesus Christ mm. that could account for our being together in a, a committed body of human beings. Yeah. And realizing that that person was was precious to me. Well, I had a love for that person that I could not explain um, in in any terms except in in terms that reflected the beauty of the Church of Jesus Christ, a local church, and what God does to take people who are different from each other and molds them together in a way that nurtures the. There's a, a mutual nurturing of faith and a witness to the people around of a kind of supernaturally generated love. Yeah. And, and really feeling like, you know, and, and so even this week I was with, uh, I was having coffee with again another person in the congregation that I felt like, you know, very different from me in so many ways. And I, I, I just mentioned him, I said, you know, if, if somebody came and were to offer me now, you know, to, to go someplace else to preach, I joked with them, I said, you know, they wouldn't know how expensive it would be because they'd have to relocate <laughs> all of you guys, right? I mean, they'd have yep. to move a whole congregation. Yep. And I, I don't say that to, say, to, to think that I know that God wouldn't move me somewhere else, yep. that there wouldn't be circumstances, only that that my measurement of what it means to minister to other people is more, I think, more deeply personal today for me than it has ever been. Yeah. And so numbers have just, by God's grace, numbers just don't, are not, not, not a big deal to yeah. me. I don't, yeah. I even, I don't, we don't even count on Sunday. I mean, just, we just don't think in those terms. Yeah. I mean, um, because that's okay. Yeah. And because not, not that you're necessarily suppressing that consciously, but because that love for brothers and sisters is worth more than all the gold of hell to you now. A six-figure salary doesn't even... Right. Can't capture that. It's on a completely different plane. It's on a completely different plane. And, and, and to, I think, where your ministry, Joe, is so, I think, so vital is, I really believe that, I mean, I think there are legitimate critiques of my... Of, of my shepherding I, I have a lot of growing to do but let let's say for purposes of our discussion that that I do an adequate job shepherding the 49 members and their children and some others in the congregation I mean I really believe that if 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 and I'm speaking for myself now if that if that group got bigger there are emerging leaders who could love that next set of people better than I could and I want that for those people and I want that for those emerging leaders yeah. I'd rather have a town like Atchison dotted with small communities that can sustain themselves and I, I, I realize there's a kind of threshold of size that you need to sustain yourself and to be able to plant new churches yeah. but I would rather I look back and think I could not have with 500 people the kind of relationships I have with the 50 people. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. And I wouldn't want that for them. I would want someone as devoted to the Word of God as I am, actually more so. And there are plenty of them out there. But at 
least as much as I am, I would want that man devoted to the Word of God to be able to be devoted to that small group of people. Yeah. I, I just think we, we have too many leaders like that sitting on the sidelines soaking up the, the good things that a few men are giving to them in larger contexts where we could be and, and I think that there are small groups in larger churches. Again, I yeah. being critical. I, yeah. I don't have yeah. the platform for that. But yeah. So, no, that's really helpful. I yeah, just think in. I like the principle of fight fire with fire. There's a, a the flesh burns for money and material success and financial security. So out burn it with something better, like personal love for other Christians because of what the gospel's done and just set your mind and your heart's affections on and highlight those things. And that's one reason why I wanted this, the, this premise of this podcast to be about this is I'm just thinking in a smaller church, you're kind of forced to come to grips with, okay, I, I'm probably not going to stay here for money. That's probably not a good reason to stay here. And it you know, it, it highlighted for you that man walking into the church that day, what a precious bond you'd been given with someone so different in the gospel. And so it's rooting your faithfulness to Christ in deeper things and, and ripping them away from fleshly motives and those kind of things. I, Yeah. So, and, and I, would, I, I, I wanted to make sure that there was a place to say, I think one of the differences, again, for me in the larger context versus the smaller context is... It, it was easy in a, in a larger, more suburbanite kind of place to, again, going back to what we said earlier, because you had response, you were getting response from 500 people, it was easy to minister to um, the people who had money to be able to hide their problems. Yeah. In a smaller town, and I'm thinking particularly in, in our context today, where we're seeing devastating effects of things like the opioid, opioid crisis and and, and the proliferation of drugs into the rural communities. And it's harder in a small town to avoid those kind of real deep social problems. Yeah. Um, and so to, your, what, to tie it into what you were just saying, I think that, and this would be true for any church, but I think the small town church is, is re, the, the pastor has a responsibility to to do the work of the evangelist amongst the really marginalized. And when they come in the church, if we're, if we're really serious about fighting fire with fire, is let's let the poor and the marginalized become the, the honored saints of the church. Yeah. Let, let's, not, let's not let ourselves fall into a situation where social standing kind of gives you an an edge gives you a couple more rungs up the ladder at church. Yeah. Um, and and I, I love a small church. One of the things that you can do is when you when you have someone come to Christ who's, you know, maybe coming out of a, say a, a drug addicted background, they're instantly thrown into relationships with people who are who have no idea what that world is like. Yeah, right. And there's not really a cushion. There's no there's no way to keep distance because right. literally like we're packed like <laughs> right. we're packed like rats into that little building right now and so there's nowhere to go. And, and we don't have enough money to start a separate ministry for that group of people. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we just don't right. we don't have the resources. Right. So, yeah. And so you just those are the kind of things that start yeah. I if you don't look to those things, you just probably wouldn't make it in a small town is my, my, my guess. If, if your eyes were not open to those treasures, you'd eventually just say, there's a bigger church offering me a bigger salary. Yeah, or even just take, just in terms of response, you know, they'll be more responsive there. Yeah, right, you know? right. Um, and, and so you just wouldn't stay is my guess. You, you probably would not stay. Um, so here's another one that came to mind. This one's probably more... I, I, it's certainly the one I would struggle with the most. What about vocational success? And I tie into that also self-fulfillment. Wanting to have a fulfilled career. I think the one I struggle with the most is seeing that opportunity to preach, you know, preach to a congregation of 1,500 people, to have that kind of influence and to be... You know, I want to be on the trajectory to write a book one day, and I want to be, uh, you know, on the 
board of directors for big ministries and I want to be a mover and shaker and I that would be so fulfilling and I would have so much influence and uh, yeah prestige and those are all I think it, I'm trying to make it clear those are not good things it's not good things to to want it for those reasons right because God could use those things but it, but to lust after those right would be, yeah, yeah very dangerous. right that's yeah. envy those kind of things but so in, in when when I'm walking according to the flesh, if I'm not walking according to the spirit, and I see it in those terms, coming from three services, 500 people apiece, to one service with 40 people feels like that's failure. That's yep. vocational failure. I'm not fulfilled. My potential is not being reached. I need, I need bigger pastures to graze in because I'm being limited here. Yeah. Is that... Is that something you ever felt or faced when you first came here? I also can understand that might be a younger guy's, like I'm on the start of a career in ministry, and so that might be something I'm more tempted to. But did you ever face that when you were moving to our church? Yeah, that's... I I probably don't know myself well enough to... I mean, I, I'm, I want to say that... Yeah, so what drew me to the church I'm at today is a sense getting to know them a little bit. Uh, I mean, part of it was a, a sense of, of a divine providence in that we were connected through a young man who had come through the church that I was at before and then had gone to seminary and had come back to be a pastor in the area. He connected us in the region, he connected us. And, and then being drawn to what I felt was a real emphasis on mercy ministry in this church that this congregation really did want to um, to prioritize love for the marginalized I mean th those were important things to me um, and I want to say that by God's grace um, in some ways the larger church and all the people and all the the mechanisms of large church kind of overwhelmed me and so um, and, and there are dangers there as well but I I would just so here's a word of encouragement to small town um, shepherds um, is to is to adopt different measurement standards I mean one of the things that I love I'm, I'm grateful to God for putting this in my heart is I love to see younger leaders succeed and, and 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 venture out in ministry. Mm. And so I think that the small town, small church is a great training ground for lifelong missionaries. Mm. I'll just, I mean, I just, I don't really have the data, sociological data to, to prove that. Somebody probably does, but I just anecdotally look at our situation where, you know, because we are on the cusp of an agricultural area, mm -hmm. I mean, we have we have people in our church who have been raised on farms, who have a strong work ethic, a great sense of loyalty to community, yeah. and, um, and and they have the opportunity. So we know a young woman who was raised in that kind of environment who has thoughts about going to get training to be involved in biblical counseling. And, you know, to me, as a pastor, her success is really my measure of success mm -hmm. or you know when you're when you're reaching out to I me mean, when you took me to lunch a couple weeks ago with a guy that you'd connected with as a part of your ministry and I felt like I could sit there and just rejoice in that you know someone who by God's grace I've influenced is now influencing people that I would not meet I just yeah. wouldn't meet them yeah and that depth of influence becomes a better measure of success than what I think doesn't it doesn't have to be but I think often is a superficial influence when you're getting to talk to 1500 people once a week yeah yeah uh, so adopting longer range more personal and more deeply uh, ingrained measurements, adopting those kind of measurements for success is going to be better yeah. in the long run. Yeah, that's great. That's helpful. Let me throw one more out there that I face, um, and then we'll wrap this up. What about uh, 
apathy and discouragement. What have you, have you faced any increased apathy um, when you moved to the smaller church or increased discouragement largely due to the size or maybe the, the like the more personal nature of the ministry has brought up your own shortcomings more. But I'm just thinking apathy and discouragement, if that's more prevalent now, how have you experienced that? And then how have you counseled your heart to remember this matters? What I'm doing here matters a lot. This is not a place to be apathetic because there are fewer numbers or whatever, whatever those temptations are. So yeah, two-pronged question here. Have you faced that? And if you have, yeah, how have you faced that? And then how do you train yourself to remember what I'm doing here matters as much as what I did back in my previous church mattered? Yeah, uh, great question. Uh, so, yeah, I think every pastor, if I were to say right now that I did not face uh, discouragement and apathy, I, this would, there'd be lots of pastors who would no, no longer listen to your podcast. <laughs> they would say, okay, this is that was fake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's there. And, I mean, one practical thing for me is we lived in the country before, and I drove into an office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I tended to drive through a very beautiful part of Kansas and I reached the edge of the town and the church was right there and I would I'd park in a nice parking lot and walk into a very nice building and I would have access to a, you know, to, to a really great staff and wonderful facilities and I would tend to meet people at nice coffee shops and, you know, and the people that oftentimes I had I interacted with had very nice homes you know I mean and whereas living in a small town closer in I walk a lot more I'm exposed to the brokenness and I'm talking about just even the external brokenness but in some ways the brokenness of our community more and it, it can when you see some of the what what are seemingly on a human level intractable social problems that are traced back to sinful rebellious attitudes and you realize oh man this is this is it does seem hopeless you know especially when there's so few responding you know you can't distract yourself by just focusing on on the few that are responding you can't ignore the broken lives yeah. they come to you more you know yeah. they're, they're more in your in your face and and so one thing certainly that that you know you you mentioned and you made you alluded to it earlier. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that we have a savior who in his inspired word presents himself as one who left the ninety and nine to go after the one. Yeah. So that that we we just simply can't ignore that. But then also when you're faced with the with those kind of the, the sense of hopelessness, it it reinforces that realization that any change that's going to come is going to be affected by the Spirit of God and no one else, not by any skill that I have, not by any learning that I've done. As important as development of skills and enhancement of learning is, it's not. that's not going to be the key to it. And so you, and you realize that that was true, that was true back when there were 500 people coming and yeah. I may not have seen it but they were dealing with the same kind of brokenness and sinful rebellion and 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 any change that was truly God glorifying their lives the Holy Spirit did that yeah so and then just to, to just the analogy that I think we talked about before we we uh, started recording and that is you know if, if I think I, I was in the military I think in terms of the military you know if, if you're setting up a defensive line you're gonna set up that line Across with strength across the board, um, because the enemy will find out the weak flank and attack there. Yeah. So the well defended flank is as important to the overall effort as is the place where the enemy decides to attack directly. Yeah. And so it's like maybe the small town church, which seems like there's very little going on. It's it's just plotting away. There isn't the transience. The church we came from was much more transient. Yeah. This is you know it's it's it is the same people every week, which is it's, it can be a wonderful thing. That does that's not a bad thing. <laughs> um, but maybe you think 
Well, boy, it doesn't, in terms of the advance of the kingdom of Christ, this seems like we're on the, uh, you know, on the neglected flank. Yeah. But the strength of that flank is just as important to the overall yeah. effort. And so it's like faithfulness is the ultimate measurement. Yeah. And so the, the pastor and those around him in leadership, hopefully a plurality of elders, is constantly asking how are we evaluating not just what the pastor's doing every year when we go to evaluate his salary but how are we measuring the faithfulness of our fellowship yeah and, and boy there's a lifelong challenge right there just to keep doing that going back to the scriptures yeah defining faithfulness yeah. Um, in in biblical terms yeah and being and then but then being really really honest which is really is hard. Yeah, I'm not. I'm still learning there. Being really honest about whether or not we're really doing what we say we're called to do and be as a community. Yep. Yep. That's. I. I like the military metaphor there, and in part because you know you're preaching. You're leading our church through First Peter right now, and he says, "Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls." That that battle line, every front is being attacked. Yep. And if we're not alert to those unseen things where the passions of the flesh are waging war against our souls and our people's souls, then we're just getting slaughtered. Right. And that's what I'm sometimes concerned when we allow apathy and discouragement to rule in small towns because there's not a lot of people or we're not getting exciting things happening, no, no new buildings are being built, none of that stuff is happening then we are blind to the fact that we are the hard-pressed front. We are being attacked, and we are just ignoring that fight. We think, I don't really I don't really want to fight that fight. That's a hard fight. I would rather fight the fight over here where yeah. I get to do fun things. The, the true culture war is in our own heart. Yeah. Not, yeah. not, in, the, not in the culture. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, leave it to a couple of uh, aspiring preachers to say it'd be a 30-minute podcast, and we're at 52 minutes. That's, uh, All that's right. what happens when we're not scripted. All right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's the proof right there. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you for joining Absolutely. me today. Thanks for helping me think about these things. I hope it's a blessing to a lot of men as well. Oh, may it be. May the yeah. Lord make it so.